Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Tri-Cities Church. And man, I love that song because it says I've been changed and it says I'm not going back. Um, but it does, what it doesn't say, but what we say over and over again here at Tri-Cities Church is that God is still in the process of changing us, right? He's still in the process of making us new, transforming us. And really what we've been doing uh, here on Sunday mornings as we've been examining the scriptures and seeing how God wants to bring about change in our life for his glory and for the good of creation so that his world might be made new. So the newness that we talk about in Jesus Christ can be real and experienced in this world. And so, yeah, thank you for joining the journey that God is doing and uh, of, of changing our world and change, through changing us and bringing about this, this incredible newness. Well, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. If this is your first time here, I do, um, I do welcome you. There's these cards in the seats in front of you. We'd love to just know that you are here. I'll be praying for you. I'm Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here. I typically have uh, the joy of preaching on, on Sunday mornings uh, and, and sharing in the scriptures. And, and the thing that's been hitting me, and I'm just um, sharing with you something that's been on my heart, and I've been talking about it uh, over and over again, um, about the scriptures. Uh, the, the, the joy, I've been, th- this year I've been finding more joy in the study of, of the scriptures, and the thing that's been, been hitting me as I've as I read the scriptures, is the fact that this, this even, even though I, I bought this Bible at the beginning of this year, and it looks fairly fresh and new and crisp, um, the Bible is an old book that's not like any other book, right? Um, it's not like a book that you read from cover to cover and you're done and you put it on a shelf and you're through with it. It's not like a book that you read for pleasure or simple enjoyment, It's not like a textbook that you read so that you can gain some kind of knowledge, but it is the Word of God through which God transforms and brings newness of life, and it has been doing that. It has been functioning in that way um, for thousands of years, and that is an incredible thing to think that there were people who were alive more than a thousand years ago who read the same thing that we will read this morning and their lives were changed by it. The more that sinks in, um, the more joy I have in being able to open the scriptures and to share them with you. This morning we're in John chapter 6, and so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. We're picking up from two weeks ago. Last week was Easter, so we uh, put a pause on our John series, but this morning we're back in John as we have been journeying through John and will be journeying through John through the entire year. We will not finish this up till uh, December or maybe even January. I'm not promising that we'll get through all of John this year. Um, But we are going to spend this year in the Gospel of John, and we'll see how long it'll take for us to go through it. We don't want to rush um, our time here in this uh, this Gospel. So here we are, John chapter 6. I'm going to pick up in, in, in verse 16. I'll begin reading there through verse 21. It says, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into the boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because of the strong wind was blowing. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, 
do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this time that you've given us here to open your word and to explore it. God, we thank you that this isn't a new story written by somebody, uh, a contemporary with us, God, but this was a story that was recorded by an eyewitness, one who lived your, during your lifetime, who walked with you, who saw the things that you did, one who was amazed and mesmerized by the signs you performed and took it upon himself to record them. God, we thank you that you used him, that you worked through John to write this gospel so that we might have it, treasure it, read it, study it, know it, and be renewed by it. So God, may that be ours in Christ Jesus this morning. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we were in John chapter 6, verse 1 through uh, 15, and, and Brian Amick preached uh, that passage for us. And it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 uh, with two fish and five loaves of bread. You might remember that story. If not, go back and read that story because it's really powerful. And the thing he pulled out, and I, and I told him, uh, I, I told him, I, I sent him a text after he preached, and I said, typically when I sit at Tri-Cities Church, at least, like if I'm off and I'm not preaching uh, and I'm here, uh, typically I'm... Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's this kind of anxiety, maybe a little bit. I, I'm not a very anxious person, but there's this anxiety, this worry, this, this inability to sit comfortably. It's like going to your job and not working, if, 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 you, if, you, if, you get the, if you get what I'm talking about. I know that's hard to get, but that, that's kind of how it is, right? It's kind of like going to your job but not working. You don't really want to be there. Although I, I like being with y'all, so I kind of wanted to be here, but, but you know, you want things to go right. All right, and, and I told him, right, now I sent him this text, I said, hey, that, was, that was one of these messages where I was sit, able to sit back, I was almost like melting in my chair, and, 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 and like in comfort, not, not in heat, but like <laughs> melting in my chair, and, and it felt like God was ministering to me, and he said this, right, and, and it really resonated with me, and hopefully it did with you, right, he said that Jesus was not, is not the king you want, because he's the savior you need, right? He's not the king you want because he's the savior you need. Because in this gospel, we see Jesus doing these crazy, miraculous signs, water into wine. He's healing uh, this guy that was near death. He got this guy who hadn't walked in 30 some odd years and told him to get up and walk, right? Jesus is doing these miracles. He's feeding 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. He's doing these incredible things. And here's, here's the reaction of people. And here's uh, the temptation for us, right, is that we come to God or Jesus, right? Um, 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 we come to God through Jesus uh, with a laundry list of things we need God to do. God, I saw that you were able to heal uh, that man's son. I need you to heal mine, right? Bring my son home. God, I see how you were able to provide for those people with just two fish and five loaves of bread and 5,000 were fed. Here's the provision that I need in my life. And so the temptation for, for me, and I think for all of us, um, is that we come to God with his laundry list of things that we need God to do. And, and what Jesus was saying, just rest because this is what my grace looks like. It looks like my provision in the moment, for the moment, every moment. Like I didn't come up with that. Brian said that. Um, but, but I thought it was really good and it stuck with me, right? That God's grace is God's provision right, in the moment, 
for the moment, every moment. That means God's not answering to our laundry list of demands and things that we need him to do, right? That's not the way God works. Um, the way God works is God gives us what we need in the moment, for the moment, in every single moment. But people didn't get that. When Jesus uh, fed the 5,000, people didn't get that. And I don't know, I, I, I wish we could, um, like, if you could ever travel back in time, um, because see, let me get, I'm off track a little bit, but if you could ever travel back in time, so like I've been, I don't know if y'all heard about this, um, uh, it's a diet called paleo diet, kind of low carb diet or whatever, so I've been, I've been a little bit off of bread for a while now, but if you could ever travel back in time, I think I would go back to, uh, um, uh, when Jesus fed the 5,000 with the two fish and five loaves of bread, he multiplied his bread, I imagine that bread was incredible. And people taste it. Yeah, I mean, it's some nice warm bread, right? And so, so here, here we go. These people have tasted this, this, this bread, and they come to Jesus, and the crowds are pressing in on him. And Jesus evades the crowds, and he goes off. And the Bible says he goes off by himself to pray. Now, John doesn't record the fact that he goes off to pray. It just says he kind of goes off by himself. Uh, the other Gospels, Matthew chapter 14, records his same story with a few more details. Mark chapter 6 records his same story with a few more uh, uh, details. Um, and so, and those, it clues us in that what Jesus went off to do was that he went off to pray. I've always wondered what, um, what Jesus' prayer life looked like, um, what the content of his, of his prayers were, were like. The Bible, it talks about him praying over and over again, um, um, but, it, but it rarely lets us into the content of his private prayers, right? There's times that he's praying for people, or he's, like, he prays later in John for the disciples, and prays about what God is getting ready to do. There's, before he raises Lazarus from the dead, that's a spoiler alert that's coming in John, before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he, he prays. There's times when, um, before he fed the 5,000, he prayed, he broke the bread, right? And so there's these times in the scriptures where Jesus prays, but, but the Bible doesn't really clue us in often to what his prayer life looks like. There's really just two stories, at least that I could think of. One is the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he goes to the cross, and you remember what he was praying there. Um, God, I don't, I don't really feel like doing this, right? Not my, but he says, uh, take this cup from me, but not, not my will, but your will be done. And he prayed that over and over again. Not my will, but your will be done. And then there's this prayer where he teaches his disciples to pray. Now, and this isn't one of his private prayers, but he teaches his disciples to pray. But you remember what he says in that prayer? Um, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so it seems that in Jesus' prayer life, at least the way that he understood prayer to work for him and in the lives of other people, is that we're constantly praying, not my will, but your will be done. That Jesus saw prayer as a tool that God uses to transform us for his mission. Now here we have Jesus who's just done incredible things, right? He fed the 5,000. He's healing folks left and right, right? He's uh, uh, turning water into wine. And, and, and people are trying to make him king, right? They want him to be their king. And then he goes away and he pulls away and he says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I didn't come here to be the kind of king they wanted, but the Savior they needed. And he knew just how difficult that would be to be the Savior they needed. There's these scriptures in, in some of the other gospels where it talks about counting the cost before making the decision to follow Jesus. And you know, the thing we see about Jesus' life is that it just wasn't an easy road. Um, and if the scriptures are calling us to follow him, 
then following him is going to be anything but an easy road, right? Sometimes we look at following Jesus as though we follow Jesus, and from this point forward, actually, we have this relationship with God, and that God begins to put everything in our lives in order and in place, um, and that following him somehow becomes easier than living without him. But the scriptures sometimes teach us quite the opposite, that sometimes following him can be more difficult than living without him even. Um, but the, the unique thing that we have when we make a decision to follow Jesus is that we have his power alive within us and his provision and his presence that leads us along the way. And so we have this scripture where Jesus draws away by himself to pray because he knew that he needed to pray because it was the tool that God would use to shape him for his mission. So Jesus prays, I believe here and all throughout his ministry, not my will, but your will be done. Pray that prayer. Pray that prayer, yeah. And so what we have um, beginning to unfold, the disciples, Jesus actually says to his disciples, he gives them permission. In fact, Mark uh, chapter 6, where it tells this same story, says that Jesus gave them permission. He said, uh, as he went away to pray after feeding the 5,000, he gave them this permission to get into this boat and go to the other side. Now, I think the disciples felt like they were doing Jesus a favor because they didn't do that. They were like, I I think, I don't know that Jesus knows how difficult it is to row a boat by himself across the sea. So we're going to wait for him. So the disciples decided to wait on the same side of the sea of Galilee, it is. Um, they decided to wait there uh, for Jesus to finish praying. Now, I don't know how all this played out. The Bible doesn't give us many clues. But eventually they got tired of waiting because when we pick up in John chapter 6, uh, verse 16, listen to what it says. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So when he says Jesus had not yet come to them, they, they waited for him for some amount of time, right? So they're like, okay, Jesus is going off to pray. He's done this before. Um, and so we're going to wait for him a little bit because we don't want him to have to row across the sea by himself. And so they're waiting, they're waiting. It's getting darker, it's getting darker. They really don't feel like going across the sea in the middle of the night, and so they decide to leave Jesus. Now, I always wondered what that conversation um, was like, right? It's like uh, one of the disciples is probably like, man, he always prays too long. Uh, you know, uh, he thought he could, he could feed these people, and then he could do just whatever he wants. Like, we're going to wait for him all night. Like, what, is that, what does that conversation actually look like? Let's leave Jesus. Um, but whatever the conversation looked like, the disciples decided that it was time for them to go. They were leaving Jesus uh, behind, and they get into the boat, and they begin to row the six or seven miles to the other side of the sea. And as they're rowing, there's this storm that comes up uh, on the sea. Now, the Sea of Galilee is notorious um, for these, these um, unpredictable, uncontrollable in, in violence, violent storms. Like, that's just the way the sea is positioned. So the Sea of Galilee is actually, um, I think, it, the, the lowest freshwater lake uh, in the world, right? So it's, it's 680 feet below sea level. And so it, it sits down low, and, and it's very humid, and, and um, uh, because, of the, because of the water, it's, it's very humid, and, and, and the, the, there's this warm water that just kind of, or air that kind of circulates over the surface of the water. But, but at the same time, it's, it's positioned, uh, situated around these kind of like these almost mountains, but they're hills uh, that, that, that go up to an elevation about 2,000 feet that, that surround the Sea of Galilee. And so you, and the water in the mountains, as you know, 
um, or the air in the mountains. The air in the mountains, as you might know, is, is a lot, often a lot cooler than, than down below. And so you have these almost two atmospheres that are coming together at the Sea of Galilee. So you have this, this cool, dry air up in the mountains, and you have this warm, humid air down at the sea. And I'm, 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 not, a, I'm not a meteorologist, and they don't teach that kind of stuff in uh, seminary. So I don't really know how all this works, but somehow when the two atmospheres, atmospheres come together, right, when those two collide, it can create these storms that no one saw coming. Now, they didn't have Glenn Burns back in that day, um, but they had somebody that was watching the storms. But the Sea of Galilee was a tricky one, right? It's kind of like Atlanta weather. Uh, it's going to rain, but it's not. It's going to snow, but it's not. Um, it's kind of like that, right? Um, and, and nobody could see the storms on the Sea of Galilee coming because of this atmospheric, this unique condition that would happen there. Um, but one of those storms came up on the sea, right? And so after the disciples get into the boat and they begin rowing, they left Jesus. Jesus, this storm comes up. They probably thought they were cursed for leaving Jesus or something. I don't know. I, that's probably the conclusion. Maybe that's, yeah, I mean, maybe that's the conclusion I would have come to. Maybe they didn't. But this storm comes up, and these storms are unpredictable, uncontrollable, and they are violent, right? They will toss a boat. Many people have lost their lives. The Sea of Galilee to this day still does this. And they're out there on this water, rowing their hardest. They've gotten about halfway across. It's too far to turn back, and they got to make it to the other side. You can't use a sail in the middle of a storm like this. And so they're rowing like crazy to try to get across this water. And here comes Jesus walking on the water in the middle of this storm. Now, I think we have some pictures of what this might have looked like. All right, uh, 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 sorry, what this probably wouldn't have looked like. All right, so this is an image of what this wouldn't have looked like, right? I think, do we have any more pictures? Yeah, all right, that, that is definitely what it went for more reasons than one. Uh, both of them, more reasons than one. And that one cartoon, no matter how we tried to depict it, depict it, it's, we got all these images of what this would not have looked like. In fact, it would have been quite wild scene because what we've seen and what we still continue to see is that the waters on the Sea of Galilee get up to 10 feet high when one of these storms come. Jesus was not a giant. <laughs> Right? And so this storm would have been going over his head. The waves would have been covering him. And here comes Jesus. Now, I don't know whether one of the disciples were like, this guy is mad. We don't really know him that well. We left him, and he's ticked, and he's coming after us. I don't know whether that was their thought or whether they're just like... <laughs> One of the other gospels says they thought it was a ghost. Maybe they thought Jesus thought this walking on water thing would be his most mesmerizing miracle. And they were like, he tried it, and that was all she wrote, right? Maybe they think the ghost of Jesus is out there on the water. I'm not sure exactly what's happening. But the Bible says they were terrified when they saw him coming. If you look in verse 18, it says the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. And then in verse 19, then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened, as we would have been, for more reasons than one. And so they're there, and they see Jesus walking on the water, and he says to them, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, I think John wants us to see that Jesus is a calming presence in the midst of chaotic times. 
And I think that's the sole purpose that John chose to include this story in his gospel. It's almost a blip in his gospel where he, he, he doesn't tell all the details. In fact, if you look in Matthew chapter 14, if you look in Mark chapter 6, you'll see these other gospels include a lot more details. If you're familiar with that story, there's that, the, the part where Peter says, uh, tell me to get out and walk, walk, you know, come to you. And Jesus tells Peter to come and walk out on the water. And Peter you know, takes his eyes off Jesus, begins to sink, that, that detail's in there. The whole, they thought it was a ghost detail's in there. If you look in the other Gospels, they include a lot more details. John tells the same story, but he leaves out some details. And I think it's because he wants to clear the way for us to see this one central point, and that's that Jesus is a calming presence in the midst of chaotic times, in the midst of unpredictable, uncontrollable and violent times, that Jesus is a calming presence. You see, throughout um, all of Old Testament, we see in the biblical times, whenever they thought about water, and particularly raging storms, his image of chaos, in fact, the chaos through which or out of which creation uh, came into being was was in their mind. In fact, if you look back to Genesis uh, chapter 1, there's this ideal of um, this this uh, chaotic existence of, of the world uh, where there was nothing but uh, water, but God's spirit hovering over the surface of the water, making sense out of and making uh, something that makes sense uh, for us out of nothingness. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, yeah, verse 1 and 2, listen to what it says there at the very beginning. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. So here at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, we see this formless and void, this chaotic existence, this nothingness that has no meaning being there, and this uh, surface of the waters and um, People have tried to imagine what this would look like, but these waters that are just kind of raging and storming, and when God brings creation into existence by his word, he first speaks to the waters and calms them, right? Brings, uh, um, brings, brings peace to the chaos that was, that was there. And then out of that peace, he speaks this beautiful creation into existence. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see that um, God is the one who is able to speak to the waters and command them. That God is the only one who is able, as it says in Job, to tell the waters, you can come this far and no further. That God is the only one who can command the chaotic storm to cease. And so for the people of Jesus' day, they would have known what this story meant. They would have known that this story was pointing to God alive through Jesus Christ, Jesus being God in the flesh, the only one who is able to calm the chaotic seas and the chaos of our life as well. That God is the only one who can do that. 
And I think John, because he's writing to a particular people in a particular community, a people that are trying to figure out in the first century what it looks like to be followers of Jesus and are facing all kinds of chaos and craziness and confusion as a result of this, being marginalized and outcasted from their community, fear of being kicked out of the synagogue and being alienated from their families and things in their life becoming real chaotic. John is writing to them and he's telling them this, right, that the church is the community that in the midst of chaotic times, hears the voice of Jesus say, it is I, do not be afraid. I am what you need, do not be afraid. You see, John wants the church to get that that's what God is trying to get us to see through this passage, that through this walking on water, he's not just mesmerizing us, right? He's not just performing a neat trick, although it would be, you know, it would be, if if I could do it this summer, I would be showing up at every pool in town, right? Walking, I would look like that picture of Jesus, like no hands. Um, If I could do it, it would be a neat trick for me. Um, but for, for, for Jesus, it wasn't a neat trick, right? It wasn't him trying to impress some people, but he's trying to drive home this point that we're still trying to get today, right, as a church, that Jesus is a calming presence in the midst of chaotic time. And so um, he's saying, hey, look at the chaos in your own life however it may appear, right? Whether it's, um, you know, it, it may be unpredictable. You might not have seen it coming. You might have done everything right, at least that you knew to do right. You might have worked at it with all your might, and you might not have seen it coming, but it's arrived like a storm. It may be uncontrollable. In fact, you may have been trying to get control of this chaos in your life for a long time, and you are finally giving up every, every um, effort because you know that they're ultimately going to come um, to, to failure. And, and it may even feel violent at times, like you're just being yanked around and dragged around by life. The chaos of life comes in different forms. Maybe it's a dream that's being denied, right? Maybe you've dreamed of something since you were young or since you were in your 20s or something like that. If for, for some time, a long time ago, maybe you've been dreaming the same dream and pursuing the same dream and the same goal and the same aspiration, and the signs are becoming clear that that's not the right dream, right? That's not maybe the God dream that God had for you, and you're coming to the reality that I should have never dreamed that dream to begin with, and God is trying to show me something new that he's doing in my life, but I just can't let go, and it feels chaotic because I'm having to let go of something that I've wanted for so long. Right? Or maybe it's a burden that came on suddenly that's just too much for you to handle. Broken relationships tend to do that, right? It could be family, it could be marriage, it could be friends, any of that, right? Uh, those things bring on these burdens that feel too big for us to carry. And they bring chaos in our lives. We say, I'm just not equipped for this. I'm just not built for this. And I think the voice of God would say, you're right, you're not built for this, but I am. 
Because that's what he says there on the waters. He says, I am. Do not be afraid. It is me. Do not be afraid. Or, or, or maybe it's losing someone that you love, right? Or something that you love. Either way it goes, whenever we lose something that we love, that we value or we treasure in our life, that can feel like the most chaotic time and most violent time in our life, like a storm that's erupted overnight that we didn't see coming. It was unpredictable, uncontrollable, and violent. Violent. Chaos appears, and there are times that we don't see it coming. And we can read all the self-help books that have been written, and we just can't get control of it. And it will continue in its violent ways. But the scriptures are teaching us that Jesus is a calming presence in the midst of chaotic times. And they're challenging us to trust in Jesus Christ. Now, for the disciples, you may be going, and this is how I did um, for a little bit, and that's why we're going to jump a little bit further ahead in John, um, because you may be looking at this text and you may be going, well... (laughs) That was a little bit easy for, for um, easier at least for the disciples. They saw Jesus in, in the flesh. I mean, um, if Jesus was, you know, if Jesus was like physically like standing here as, as, a, as I'm standing here, right? If, if Jesus w- was here and you saw him heal people and you saw him uh, feed the 5,000 and you saw him turn water into wine, it would be easy to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to trust you, right? I'm going to trust you through this and, and, and I'm going to experience your peace because I know that you're in control. And see, that's, that's what the disciples had because they saw Jesus walking on the sea and they heard his voice speaking them, to them and saying, it is I, do not be afraid. We don't have that, but John is later in this gospel, and I'm, I'm not going to get into it a ton this morning, but we're going to get into it some. As much as the Spirit of God leads us, we're going to get into it. In John chapter 14, uh, John begins laying out this theology of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God that is actually with us. In fact, the presence of God that dwells within us. Now, we're going to get to this, and I didn't do my math um, before this morning. We're going to get to this sometime towards the end of the summer, probably. Um, So this will reappear, John's, in a more complete form, John's theology of the Holy Spirit. But if you look in John chapter 14, um, I'm going to pick up in verse 16. Listen to what he says. Um, Actually, I'm going to pick up in verse 15, but I think it starts at 16 on the slide. So just listen to 15. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. All right, so so let's just put this in context. He's talking to people who've made a decision to follow him, follow Jesus, and, and to live their lives in a way that they keep the commands of Jesus Christ. So in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Another helper, right? So when he says another helper, he's saying, as I have helped you, right, and as you have seen the storms calmed by me, and as I have been a calming presence in the midst of your chaotic times, I'm giving you another helper kind of in the same way 
that's going to do the same work. And then listen to what he says. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you, right? So he's saying this spirit, the very spirit of God, abides with you and will be in you. So when things get crazy in your life, he's saying, um, you don't have to uh, uh, run and find where Jesus is staying, right? No, no longer will you have to run and find where, where is Jesus, like looking for the doctor, right? Um, you don't have to like pull out the phone book or any of that, like Jesus, where you, you know, you don't have to know Jesus' cell or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, that was crazy. That was random. Um, you, don't, you don't have to know any of that, um, but, but the Spirit of God will be with you in those chaotic moments, just as Jesus was with his disciples on the sea in the middle of the storm. The Spirit of God be with us always. If you drop down just a little bit to verse um, 25, listen to what it says. He says, these things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, he uses that phrase again, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. That's important. We're going to come back to that. Do I give to you? Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So he's saying, I, he's saying to us, I, I'm offering you real peace. And that real peace comes through my presence that is with you. It's not a promise of peace that can't hold up um, under the pressures of this world, but that is ultimately crushed by the pressures of this world. But it's a real peace which, as you trust in the abiding Spirit of God, the presence of God, the power of God that is with you, no matter what your chaos looks like, no matter what storm has come in your life, like as you trust that, you will live into this real peace, which in the end will not disappoint. The peace that the world offers in the end disappoints. Because that peace comes in the form of temporary things, things that ultimately wear out, run out, or go bad, rancid, right? Uh, that's the way the things of this world, the peace of this world works. It eventually wears out, runs out, or gets bad, right? It, it gets moldy or, or, or nasty or gets bacteria in it or something like that, right? Um, that's the way the peace of this world works, right? It, it's based in things which are ultimately superficial. But what Jesus is saying is that, and, and he's going to lay this out in, in John chapter 14. It makes sense really in, in the context of the whole thing, because if you go back, oh man, I wasn't really planning on doing this. But if you go back to the beginning of John chapter 14, where he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would, would I've told you, uh, for I go to prepare a place for you, right? There's this whole passage there where he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you right, um, so that your dwelling can be forever with me, the passages that we read as um, a heavenly dwelling that God is preparing for his people, which we will live in for eternity, right, and then he says um, that classic passage um, um, where he says, oh gosh, where is it? I started down a trail that I wasn't supposed to go down. 
Uh, verse 6, where Jesus says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, so what we see here at the very beginning of this passage where he teaches about the Holy Spirit is that he's gone to prepare a place, an eternal, eternal dwelling place for those who follow him. That we're not just following him for peace and prosperity in this, in this life, but we're following him for the hope and joy fulfillment, and satisfaction that he offers for all eternity. And that's why he can say, my, the Holy Spirit that I will send will help you and will give you peace, not as the world gives you, um, but a different kind of peace that says everything in the end will be okay. And then he says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be fearful. You see, the Bible isn't teaching, never does it teach, um, never does it teach that fear is an emotion that shouldn't rise in our lives. Rather, it teaches that fear is an emotion that we shouldn't allow to dwell in our lives. Because as fear arises, we're reminded by God's Spirit that Jesus has already conquered everything for us to be fearful of. That as fear arises, we speak to that fear and we reject its place in our life and we speak to God who is with us through the presence of his Holy Spirit, and we're reminded that he's already conquered everything for us to be fearful of, and we experience Jesus as a calming presence, even in the midst of these chaotic times. Because things may be out of our control, but they're never out of his. God is always, always in control. So, I'll, so I want to I want to challenge you this morning. I want I want to challenge you this morning to ask yourself um, if you're going through a time that seems a little chaotic or maybe confusing. To ask yourself, what does it look like for me to live like? The presence and power of God is right here with me. What does it look like for me to live like the power and presence of God is right here with me? Because as you believe and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what John teaches us is that the presence of God really is right here with us. And as we live like the presence of God is right here with us, it begins to alter the way we react to chaotic times, the way we respond to chaotic times. And we begin seeing them as opportunities for God to receive the full glory through our lives. 
And so what does it look like for me right now in the midst of a chaotic time, whatever it is, to live like the presence and power of God is right here with me? Remember that. Remember your answer to that. And then continue to make it a habit, a ritual, to remind yourself that the presence and power of God really is right there with you. So that more and more in every day and in the way of your life, you begin to live differently, not because your situation has changed, but because your trust in the presence and power of God is deepening. Or because the situation doesn't always change immediately or go the way that we want, but God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. And so when we're satisfied in the presence and power of God being right there with us and in control, it is then, at that moment, that we experience His peace. And here's what happens. We become a calming presence in the midst of chaotic times. So Jesus becomes our calming presence in the midst of chaotic times. And then we become a calming presence in the midst of chaos. I think this is one of the ways that the world gets to know the power of Jesus Christ in and through the church. This is one of the ways that the church is distinct because at times where we should be crumbling, crying in confusion, worried about how things are going to work out, we find ourselves responding differently because Jesus is right there saying, I am, do not be afraid. And we get to know the Holy Spirit God's presence and power that abides with us, and we live different lives. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to read this scripture that um, speaks a difficult word to us, because I know um, in my mind, I want to... I would rather just hand you my laundry list of things and see you do it. See you remove these problems, fix my relationships, heal the places where I'm hurting, save me from the situations, both the situations that I've created and the ones that have been laying upon me. But God... Help me to hear you in the midst of chaos saying, I am. Do not be afraid. Help us to hear you in the midst of chaos saying, I am with you. Do not be afraid. God, please help us to live like the presence and power of God is right there with us. Because it is through your Spirit. God, help us to live different lives, distinct lives. Lives that say there is a God who hasn't left us, nor has he forsaken us. 
Help us to live like there's a God who walked on the seas in the midst of the storm and calmed the chaos. Help us to live like we say when we say we trust that God. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.